Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. You know, the scriptures tell us that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a generational God. He's a covenant God. And you know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all had to walk in faith just because they were the patriarchs. They were not the favorites. They had to walk it out just like we do now. So God is a God of the living, not of the dead. So we are expected to do the same things that they did. So with the second week of Advent, the topic is, or the theme is, is faith. Well, outstanding. Um, I'm excited to be before you again this morning. It's always my privilege to, to minister in this house of God, to, to speak to you, uh, especially with my pastor here. It's always special for me when they're here and not out of town. Now, it's, it's a lot of responsibility when they're out of town, no doubt. But it's wonderful when they're here because I want him to hear what I have to say, and I want to share that moment with him and Pastor Marsh and Pastor Peter as well. Um, this morning, let's turn to the book of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Now, this is an extended passage, and you know, as is my custom, we always stand when, when we read the Word. This is how I like to get my mind straight, and I like to worship the Lord with the reading of His Word. That way we're focusing completely on Him and not what I have to say. So, with this being an extended passage, if some of you uh, would like to remain seated, then certainly please do that. I would come and sit with you myself. Uh, if I wasn't the one up here reading the Word. So if you feel like you would like to sit down, then that's okay. Amen? So as we normally do, if you would, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's turn to verse 45 in Luke 1. Verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Let me read it this way. And blessed is she because there will be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Father, this morning we look to You. Father, speak to us 
in ways that only You can do. As I've prepared myself, Father, use me to speak to Your people that they'll be blessed, that they'll be, that they'll be challenged, that we'll learn to look to Your Son Jesus, not as the baby in the nativity, but as in Your soon coming King whose Spirit reigns and rules inside of us, Father. So I, I ask that You would bless me this morning and bless the words that are said that they would minister life and healing to Your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Advent in the 4th and 5th century was a time of preparation for the baptism of new Christians. Now, Advent is all over the place. I will say this, Advent is the one holiday that all of Christendom does not have a problem with. There's no fighting, there's no fussing, and yet it's completely different from this church to this church, from this nation to that nation. It's the same. It's not the same. The candles are different. The days are different. When it starts, when it ends, how they do it. But the one thing that they know is this, that the candles represent God's Word and that middle candle represents Jesus. How can you pitch a fit and fight over Jesus when the focus is all on Him? But when it started in the 4th and 5th century, there was a time of preparation for the baptism of new Christians. Now get this. Christians would spend 40 days in prayer and fasting to prepare for the celebration that accompanied them being baptized. Wow, how many people want to get saved this morning? We're going to fast and pray for 40 days before we get baptized. Originally, Christians used this term uh, of Advent to refer to Christ's second coming, but over time it has come the way we understand it for the most part. It has to do with Jesus being born in Bethlehem in Judea. This word Advent or Adventus uh, is a Latin word for a Greek word that I'm sure many of you know. It's that word parousia. That word is a being near. It's a, it's a coming. It's, it's a presence. It's a word that's used to talk about the second coming of Christ. Rick Renner says this. He says, this word always places special emphasis on the presence of the Lord, especially the strong presence of the Lord, which can be tangibly felt in our lives. Now, I've been taught it's wrong to say that we can feel the presence of God. We sense the presence of God. And it's true that we do sense the presence of God, but there are times when there's a feeling, when there's a knowing that's so much a part of us that we know that something's about to happen. It happened that way when Jesus was born. Before He was born, there were people that were expecting Jesus to come. Not just because the Scriptures say they knew that that part was true, but there were some who inside of them knew that it could be any day. There were girls, teenage girls of that day, they all wanted to be the mother of Messiah. They could feel that He was coming. How many of you have ever felt like the time is getting close for Jesus to return for His people? It's been this way from the beginning, but there's a part of us that knows. There's a part of us that feels that soon He will be coming back. But this word has not only to do with the second coming of Christ, but this same word, parousia or advent in the Latin, also refers to the time that He came in the, in the beginning, if you will, in Bethlehem when He was laid in the manger. They were looking, parousia. They knew that the presence of God was coming in the form of His Son, and He did. So, we know now that Advent tended to focus on the coming in, in Bethlehem and also in His second coming, which will be soon. 
Additionally, this season of Advent in the Christian calendar, it anticipates the coming of Christ in three perspectives. And this will be my three points today. One is when he came in Bethlehem in the nativity. That's when he was laid in the manger when he was born. The second one is not a physical advent, but it's a spiritual advent when he sends his spirit to reside on the inside of us. That is an advent, a spiritual advent. For now his spirit, alos, that, that Greek word means a person of the same kind and a, a duplicate, an exact copy of Jesus. Now he resides on the inside of us. So that's the second advent, although it's spiritual. And the third one is the coming of Christ. Those will be my third points this morning. So uh, judging by the number of pages that I have of notes, and I've, I've learned over the years it takes about three minutes a page, we're going to finish at 12. If I don't make it to the end, we'll finish at 12. And somebody says, I'll hold you to that. That's your expectation. That's faith. I hear you. You've got to be up here on the front row. It's, 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 it's really good. The, the second Sunday of Advent, which is today, gives us the opportunity to prepare our hearts in faithful waiting to celebrate not only the birth of Christ, but for His second coming. It's a beautiful time to, to stop and to really think about all the things that are said in Scripture in the Old Testament and in the New that talks about His second coming and His first coming for that matter. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, listen to this, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. You are the reason that He came and you are the reason that He will come back. Somebody say amen. amen. Psalms 146 and verse 5. How blessed is he whose hope and whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Pastor said last week that hope is not a wish. Hope is an expectation. Jesus is that hope, but hope demands expectation or, or participation. My question to you in this second week of Advent when our topic that, you know, that was given to me is, is the faith, the looking for Jesus. Not faith in the normal sense that we normally talk about it, but the faith that looks for Jesus to come in this world and in our lives. My question to you is what is that participation? How do we participate in that hope? That participation is actually a responsibility and that responsibility is faith. If we're going to hope that Jesus is going to come back, we just saw in the book of Titus right there, that we have a responsibility to act in faith, not only to act in faith, but that faith plays itself out in living a life that's holy before Him. You guys are listening well. Somebody say amen. Amen. But the big question, how do we live a life of faith as we anticipate our Lord's return? We are told to occupy, this in the King James Version, we're to occupy until He comes by being faithful with the deposit that He has given to each of us. There's a parable that's given in Luke chapter 19 where a, 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 an owner gives ten minas to ten servants. Each of the servants gets one mina or one pound or, or one specific amount of money. It was a hundred days wages is, is what it was. 
They're all given the same thing. And that plays out as we're all presented with the same Gospel. But for those of us that act in faith, the rewards will come back differently than from those who don't act in faith on that. So the Word will accomplish what it's set out to do, what it goes forth to do. It will accomplish just that. But we're also given different talents and our responsibility is to share them in faith. You may be a trumpet player. You may be a keyboard player. You may be the guy that speaks. You may be the guy that greets. You may be the person that's in the children's church. Bless them, Lord. But even though we're all given different gifts, different things like that, we all receive the same thing when it comes to the giftings of God. And it's the joy. The joy and the approval of the Lord. That's in Matthew chapter 25. Excuse me. We're given different talents. We're given different responsibilities, but also in chapter 25, it says in the parable of the ten virgins, we're told... If I was wise, I would have put another set of batteries in this mic. I suppose. I did check them. I don't try them. I test them every morning. So if it's going to happen to someone, it needs to happen to me. Amen. But the Scriptures teach us that hope has an outworking. It's, it's faith. Faith fixes our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is the main theme of the second Sunday in Advent. So, getting into the, the, the really the talk about Advent. This Sunday, we light what is called the Bethlehem candle. That is this candle right here. And some observances of, of Advent, this candle would actually be green. How many of you guys knew that faith is represented by the color green in Scripture? It is, or at least it is in the church. Uh, when you talk about a color that's associated with faith, it's, it's green. But this candle concerns Christ's birth in a manger and, and other prophecies that led up to that. This candle may be called that of Bethlehem, the way, or of the prophets. For many people, it reminds us about the experience that Joseph and Mary had in the, uh, the village of Bethlehem. So here we go, guys. We're getting into the, the, the sermon now. Three points. First advent is Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a small town. It was, actually, it was probably more of a village. It's positioned much like Prattville and Montgomery. Prattville's got the high ground. Bethlehem had the high ground by a little bit, but it's funny, when you refer to Jerusalem, you always refer as going up to Jerusalem because that's where the temple is, amen? But it's slightly higher, about five miles away. Just south of Jerusalem, the main epicenter, religious epicenter of Israel. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, this is interesting, the prophecy that refers to Bethlehem in Micah 5, 2, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, that is Bethlehem, which is a place of bread, a house of bread, and a, a fruitful land. It's saying that it's a, a fruitful house of bread, if you will, is what he's saying. Jesus says he's the manna that came down of heaven. He's the, the bread. So naturally it makes sense that he would born in, be born in Bethlehem. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be a ruler of Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Back in the time of Christ, there could have been as few as 75 to 100 people that lived in this town. And it could have been as many as 1,000. So it's kind of all over the place. But by no means was it a large town. It, it didn't... 
It couldn't even stand up to the city of slap out when it comes to the, you know, the number of, of occupants. And I said that for our pastors. Um, but it was here that our main characters, Joseph and Mary, found shelter while waiting to enroll in a census. Not long after they arrived, the time came for her to give birth to her baby, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Their lives, listen to this, are a shiny bright example of walking in faith. More than ever, we need to consider Joseph and consider Mary, not because they're parents, the parents of Jesus, so to speak, the caregivers of Jesus, but because they had to act in great faith to be chosen by God beforehand. How did they understand the concept of, of faith? What was faith to them in Habakkuk 2.4? It says that the righteous will live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith or his faithfulness in the Old Testament. They understood that there was a connection between what they believed and what they did. That word means faithfulness, steadiness, and trustworthiness. When somebody is faithful, you can take it to the bank. When they say they're going to be somewhere, they're going to be there. If they say they're going to do something, they're going to, to do it. So how does faith express itself now? It still expresses itself in faithfulness. It expresses it, it's, itself in love. Actually, that's the only way that faith does express itself, at least in the highest order to me, it says in Galatians 5, 6, that faith expresses itself in love. Sometimes it takes more faith than others with some people, amen. Hey. It, faith also expresses itself as a willingness to do what is necessary even when it's not convenient. How many times have we had to do something in faith knowing it was right and it was not inconvenient? If you're waiting to get into the ministry and you want to do the work of the ministry, when you get into the good stuff, it will never be convenient. And you can count on it and you will learn through it the whole time. But how about if we're asked to go beyond what we know and we understand to act on what seems hopelessly impossible and absolutely inconceivable? Mary and Joseph were asked to do this very thing, and it took God himself to equip them to accomplish it. It took faith to keep walking. That's what this Sunday is about in Advent. It's about walking in faith and trusting him in all things. So let's talk about Joseph. Joseph is an example of the man I would like to become. It seems to me that he doesn't get a lot of press. After all, he isn't mentioned a whole lot other than in the first two chapters of Matthew and the first two chapters of Luke. He, he kind of fades away into obscurity long before Jesus' ministry ever begins. But really, when you say that he wasn't a big player, there couldn't be anything that was farther from the truth because he was trusted by Yahweh to be a caregiver for his very own son. Joseph wasn't picked randomly. He was chosen by God, just like Mary was chosen by God to be the caretakers and Mary being the mother of Jesus himself. We see in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 that Joseph is betrothed to Mary. Now, betrothed is more than an engagement. Nowadays, we get engaged and we get married. They might have gotten engaged, but when they became in betrothed, they were married. It was the first step in marriage, but you were entirely, altogether, and completely married to this person. You just weren't living with them. 
In Luke 1.26, we see, and this was important, we read this in today's main reading, that Joseph is of the lineage of, of David. He's of Solomon, but Joseph could not have been the one that the Christ came through because Coniah in, in um, Matthew chapter 1, I forget the verse, I think it's in verse 7, Coniah is in his genealogy, and it says that no king could ever come from him. The Messiah couldn't come through him because of the curse that was on Coniah. So that really puts Joseph out of the picture when it comes to the Messiah coming through him. He had to come through Mary, and we'll talk about that in a second. This is where it gets good. In Matthew chapter 1, just pull that out. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. But when he had considered this, and Joseph, her husband, a righteous man, verse 19, not wanting to disgrace Mary when he finds out that she is pregnant, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. These are the types of things that we look over, we skim over as we're doing our daily Bible reading, especially in the time of Christmas. Can you imagine what is going on in this man's eyes, in this culture right here, to where when this kind of thing happens, he, he is embarrassed and disgraced is what's going to happen. And there's no telling what's going to happen with her. Same thing with her. I guess suppose she could have been put to death if they would have pressed it. But... This is the example of faith. An angel of the Lord came to him and said, Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She is going to give birth to the Son of God. Now, how many of you would have thought, I would like to see a little bit of identification with that. He would not have been the first person to heard from an angel or from God himself and to said, no, I don't think so. I just don't think I would do that. And there's multiple examples in the Old Testament where that happened. So it took faith to hear from this angel, who I believe was Gabriel in this point, a messenger of good news. That's all that Gabriel ever did was give messages of good news. He wasn't an archangel, but he did a lot of that with good news. He came to him and told him, hey, Joseph, this is what you want to hear. I know that you love your wife and I know that you're upside down, but I'm going to ask you to do something that people just don't do normally. I'm going to ask you to trust God because your wife is going to carry the Son of God. There's only one person, people, in the history of the world that could do that, and Joseph is being asked to believe him when he says that his wife is the woman. Wow. This, this, this is faith. Matthew 1, verses 24 and 25, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Not only did he take her as his wife and they were completely and fully married, he kept her in that state so that the prophecies about her would be true. And we'll read that in a second in Isaiah chapter 7. The point I'm trying to make right now is Joseph acted in faith. In Luke chapter 4, Luke, Luke chapter 2 and verse 4, Joseph along with Mary, they leave Nazareth to travel to Judea for the census. She's about nine months pregnant. Somebody listen to me. She had to travel 70 miles to get from Nazareth in the north country, if you will, to get to, to Judea in the center of Israel, south center of Israel. It's 70 miles as the crow flies, or it's one hour and 49 minutes driving the Yitzhak Rabin Highway number six by car. 
but they didn't have the plans approved for the highway at this point. So she had to walk it out, so to speak. Best case, she walked 20 miles a day. I don't know, ladies, you tell me at nine months pregnant, I mean, you're, you're pretty severely pregnant at that point. Do you think that you can walk 20 miles a day for four days straight, go enroll in this census and turn around and come back? I think as a woman, and I've been married to my wife for a long time now, and with the amount of kids that we have between, you know, with us and, you know, amps and all you guys that have, you know, lots of, of kids, I think I've got this thing figured out. I bet you at nine months she knew her time was coming near whether she was counting days or not, and she knew she wasn't going to make it. But in faith, she goes anyway because that's what she, she had to do. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 16, Joseph is present when the shepherds arrived. She's given birth to Jesus, and they show up, and they communicate to him another message from angels. Are you hearing me? And the Bible doesn't say anything about angels, does it? But it's all over the New Testament. You can't hardly open a page without seeing some kind of angelic um, presence in this. The angels come and communicate to him that Jesus um, is born. This is where he'll be. He'll be more than likely in a cave laying in a manger in a trough with his family. This is where he'll be. They walk straight to him, and they find him there just exactly as he said. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Joseph and Mary present Jesus in the temple and offer sacrifice, but judging by their sacrifice, they were not very rich. The whole time and everything that they see in the temple with Anna and Simeon as they come and they speak to them about Jesus and Him being the Messiah, they were looking for Him to be there. In faith, they were looking for Him. They felt His presence. They knew He was there. And when He, when he was brought into the temple, as the law demanded, they recognized this baby as being the Messiah that had been waited for for millennia. Now, how many of you, I mean, can, you just can't make this kind of stuff up. But yet, in the Spirit, they knew that this was Jesus. And it says that Joseph and Mary are both amazed at the things that are being said about Jesus. They have, talking, they have spoken to angels. They've spoken to God Himself. And now these things are happening, and they still have to act in faith, even though they've had some heavenly intervention, if you will. Who are we to think that we will never have to act on the faith that God has given us when we're faced with a mortgage payment, or a house payment, or a kid that won't act right, or problems at work, or things going on in the news, things going on in our country, things going on in the world? We want to whine and cry and boo-hoo when God is saying, walk it out in faith and trust me. If he sent you an angel, if God showed up today and spoke to you in your face and you heard the audible voice of God and saw his presence, you're still going to have to act in faith because now we have a more sure word than any kind of angelic presence that ever shows up in our life. And it's the word of God. And this right here shows us that we're to trust in him, to act in faith, to believe for the impossible when it's the will of God in our life. So we look to Him. We trust Him. That's what the second Sunday of Advent is all about. It's about looking for Jesus and having faith to believe in Him. How many of you believe that He has a plan that's a, of a higher order than anything that we have? Uh, although we see things on the news, we see things on the internet, but yet the whole time He's saying, look to me, I'm the author and finisher. I'm the author and perfecter of your faith. 
Peace comes. Peace is yours. How many of you could use an extra dose of peace? I would take that. Joseph and Mary performed everything according to the law. Get this now. I'm going, to, I'm going to say this quickly. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph to warn him that Herod would try to search for Jesus to destroy him. Listen to this. An angel speaks to him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and he left for Egypt. Angel shows up, tells him this is what's going to happen. He immediately does what he's told to do. It says, while it was still night, he got up right then and left. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph to tell him to return back to Israel in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 21. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But he goes to the wrong place, and God says, don't go back to Judea. Don't go back to Bethlehem where you're going. You need to go to the north country because Herod is going to seek to kill him. So, so here we go again. Uh, he left for the regions of Galilee in the north country and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. That is why he is, he is called, he shall be called a, a Nazarene. It's the, the, the nitsor, the branch, the, the Nazareth through the corruption of the English. It's really got to do with the branch. That's why it says that he's from the branch. We are the people of the branch or the nitsarim, if you will. So these words that we see in the Bible are so important. That's why he was told to, to go to Nazareth. Luke chapter 2, Joseph helped raise Jesus. It says that Jesus, the child, continued to grow and to become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is where it gets good for me. Twelve years later, he goes to the temple in a caravan. The caravan turns around and goes home, but Jesus decides to stay. I mean, how do you, how do you argue with the Son of God, right? Uh, you tell him you get in his caravan and come on. I'm watching over you right now. <laughs> but they would have done that, but they couldn't do that because he stayed behind and didn't, didn't tell them. When they came back and found him, the teachers were blown away because he's asking questions and he knows as much or more than any of them at 12 years of age. This is where I'm trying to go with this. It says that Joseph and Mary, Luke 2, verses 48 and 50, they were both astonished and did not understand the statement that he had made to them when Jesus said, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? There's no book that tells us what to do when our child stands up and says, I was about my father's business. You do understand that I'm the, I'm the child of God. The one family in all of creation that this happens to, they were astonished, but they said, you're coming home, son, and he did. It says that he continued in subjection to them until that time was ready. Mary in, in Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, Mary's of the lineage of David too, but uh, from Nathan. So he was, she was entirely qualified to, to bear our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Gabriel announces to Mary that she would be the mother of Jesus in Luke chapter 1. Remember what I said, Gabriel brings good news. This same Gabriel brought good news to Zechariah and Elizabeth, said that you will, well it's actually Zechariah to begin with, Zacharias. You're going to have a son, Zacharias. And I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself. He says, well, how will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. But this same Gabriel six months later comes to, to Mary and says, greetings, woman richly blessed in Luke chapter 1 verse 28. The Lord is with you. She says, how can this be since I am a virgin? 
Now, it would seem unfair that Zacharias, a, a righteous priest, would be struck mute and deaf until his son was born, but Mary is summarily blessed and said, you're going to bear the Son of God. When they both seemingly said the same thing. I don't get it, God. I don't get it, Gabriel. How am I going to have a child, I can hear Zacharias saying, when I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman, how is this going to happen? But it wasn't that he had a question about it and that he believed. It was that he didn't believe and he was entirely skeptical in all of that. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 20, it says that he did not believe, but it says in Luke 1, 44 and 45, that Mary did believe and that she embraced it. I wonder if Mary ever read from the book of Isaiah that in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, now this is extreme faith. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. How many of you guys have ever seen yourself in Scripture? I look to it and I say, that relates to me. I can see that. I can see where that, that pertains. But look at what she's looking at. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she'll call his name Emmanuel. And it says that in such great faith, immediately in a hurry, she gets up knowing that she's pregnant, but only by faith to go to her, her uh, relative Elizabeth's house to tell her that she's about to, to embark on nine months of carrying the Son of God. We're skipping over things when we read Scripture. At this point, she still wasn't fully married now, she's acting on her faith, but what do you do when you're pregnant and everybody's going to look at it as today is like being pregnant out of wedlock, if you will. There's, there's a stigma that can go with that sometimes. She hasn't started showing yet, but she will. And when she does, the Lord will think they know exactly what, is, what has happened. But no matter what has happened, Mary's not disgraced, nor is Joseph embarrassed. They've heard from God. How many times in our faith... Are we required to do things that may not seem like it's normal? It may even seem like it's something that we can't wrap our minds around it. Why would God have me to do that? But you have to stick your neck out there anyway and do it. But when we do it, in time, we see that the blessing of God will come upon us. Amen. The, the reoccurring verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 18 and 19 is that Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. It means to preserve it in her memory, to keep it careful, carefully put into her mind. When we see things happen, and we see that God has acted on our faith, and He has moved upon us, and things have happened that are out of the norm that only He could do, we're to treasure these things just like we treasure looking to Jesus. Even though we've heard from God directly and an angel has showed up, we still treasure those times when He moves in our life. But isn't this what faith is all about? Our faith grows with, with every experience. You know, it's easier to believe for some things now that I'm 53 than it was when I was 23. And it's not because I've been there and done that by myself, but because I've seen where God has blessed us and been faithful to His Word in different areas in our life. 
It's easy to talk about giving. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. When it's the hardest thing in the world to start tithing and to be faithful with that because all you see is 10% of your money is going out the, the window, so to speak, when actually God gave you everything that he gave you in the first place. We're just stewards of it. So when we learn to trust in him, even if you're, you know, if you, can, if you can't see it in your mind to give 10%, give 1% and move in this thing and act in faith and trust God and say, God, I'm going to do what you said and step it up and get to that place and trust Him. How many of you guys would that have been good to hear years ago when you started tithing? You, you just couldn't do it. Maybe there's someone under the sound of my voice that's not tithing now. I want, you to, I want you to hear that God loves you. God's speaking to you right now, just like He's spoken to me and told me that years ago. Step out in the faith that you have, and I'll work with you. Watch this. And now He's got me to a place to where He wants me to be now, but that's not where He'll have me later. I'm looking forward to doing so much more, even in the future. Amen? I hope that you guys are doing the same thing. Mary treasured all of these things. Let's get on to a spiritual advent. Point number two, if you will, receiving salvation. Acts chapter 3 and verse 26. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. It was the blessing of God to turn us from who we were even when we are some of the most culturally acceptable people in the world. The fact that we're pretty and have money and have all of the things and toys that rich people have, you're still an enemy of God until you become saved. He raised up his servant to bless us, to show us that we needed him. It's the goodness of God that allows us to even realize that we need to repent, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. So that is the blessing of God. We, we are lost. We have to know that we're lost before we can even be found. When someone is lost in the woods or in a valley of despair, I've written, or lost on an open sea of loneliness, the help that we need most is for someone to save us. How many of you, let's just say it in church, how many of you have ever been lonely? How many of you have ever been in despair? Paul said that he despaired even of life. What we need is a Savior at that moment. Even when we're saved already, we still need Him to save us from where we are. A Savior who will, will show up. One that will come and, and rescue us. We've all been in this physical state. That's why Jesus came. And there is salvation in no other name. There's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved but in the name of Jesus and that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So every man saved and unsaved, every woman unsaved and saved will one day say, Jesus Christ is Lord and God will receive all the glory from it. The question is, is will you accept Him as your Savior now? Or will you wait one minute too late and let the time go by? That's the seriousness of why Jesus came. He didn't came because he, come because He had to. He came because of you. He came because He wanted to. He came because He wanted the relationship between God and us restored. That's why He came. Church, please, don't wait one more minute if you're not saved. You need to give your life to Him. You need to understand that there's a God who is seeking you out, that has already sent Jesus, that has given His Holy Spirit who's right here with us right now. He's 
He's in you. He's on you. He's pressing you. He's pushing you to accept the Jesus that came. He came for no reason. Didn't come for any no reason at all. He came for a reason. He came for you individually, not a mass of humanity, faceless humanity. He came for a person. He came for me. He came for you. He came for your kids so they won't die and go to hell. He came to save them. Will we act on the faith that He is stirring up inside of us to accept the gifting that He has given us? Will you walk in that faith? Will you trust Him for your salvation? Will you look to Jesus because He's looking to you I'm preaching to myself on that. that's good so what makes us a Christian it's not the things that we do or the, the beliefs that we espouse the very thing that makes us a Christian is not a thing at all it's a person and that person is Jesus Christ it's always about him and I want him to be ever increasing in my life John 14, verses 16 and 17. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides in you and He will be in you. He says He will give us another Comforter. That word is allos. That is a very specific word that says that the Holy Spirit will be exactly like Jesus. He is a duplicate of Him in every shape, form, or fashion. It's like Jesus is on the inside of you but it is his spirit and it says that he'll give you another comforter he's a helper it's that paracletos word he is the one that comes to walk beside us wherever we find ourselves he is there if i make my bed in hell david said he is there if i feel like i've gotten so far away that god's arm can't reach me he is there with me and god's arm can reach me where i am so he walks with me he talks with me because he is just like jesus And now that we're saved, we're saved because of Him. For by grace have you been saved through faith and not of yourself. You can't even accept Him without His Spirit moving on you. It's the goodness of God that allows us to realize that we need to repent. It's a gift of God. It's not of any works. It's not that you can drum it up, you can think it up, and you can act on your own belief system and structures, whatever it is, some existential feeling that you have. It's none of that stuff. God makes Himself known to every man, every woman at some point in their life. The question is, is will you accept Him or will you wait one minute too late? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, Pastor Marsha preached on this years ago for months and months, it seemed like, and it was good. Every single time. I know where that verse is now. And it's so good. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. The Word of God comes because someone stands up and preaches it, because Holy Spirit moves on you, because He's walking alongside of you, and He's inside of you, and He's comforting you. He's convicting you when you do wrong. But the whole time, God is loving you through His Spirit, who He's made to dwell inside of you. Faith involves trusting the evidence, realizing that the only way we can do that is because of the goodness of God. I cannot know what I ever forget my salvation experience for a long time before I got saved I was in this thing of knowing that I was in the wrong spot doing the wrong thing no particular vice if you will 
It wasn't like I was doing the socially unacceptable things. I was just someone who was not where God wanted him to be. And Holy Spirit was moving on me, and I was so convicted. I would never have said, Holy Spirit's convicted me. I know I'm wrong. But I looked back after I got saved, and I began to see what was happening. Holy Spirit was moving on me, saying, are you going to wait one minute too late, Bill, or are you going to accept me? Are you going to look to me? And for so long, I just said, I don't know what to do. My father, who I have no reason to believe was a Christian at that time, although he was before he died, now I have a blessed hope. My father, who never did this sort of thing, sent me a letter saying I was involved in some very bad stuff. Now, I didn't believe him. I thought he was entirely wrong, and I really thought, where do you get off telling me these kind of things? But once you get past that kind of maleness and, you know, you know standing up wanting to fight and carry on, I realized my dad spoke to me. And in my world, right or wrong, my world stopped spinning. Smooth stopped, and there it was. The question is, is a man who would never do this, who's never told me he loved me, who never did any of those kind of things, because that generation didn't do that. I just had to know that, because he was not going to communicate it in any way. My father loved me enough to say, you're wrong, Bill. You're doing something dangerous. This is what the world says. I mean, look at all the data. And I began to consider it. And I knew I was wrong, but what do I do? And a new believer in Christ that was only months old walked across a hangar floor while I was in formation. When the formation was over, he walked up with a smile and a track and said, Bill, you're going to hell if you don't get saved. You don't do that nowadays. You go to jail. My response was, I know. And I got saved, and here I am. Thirty-something years later, I'm here because God saw me vacillating, so He sent in reinforcements, so to speak, and He sent a believer to witness to me. I will never forget that advent when Jesus came and made Himself real to me. He came to where Bill was, and His presence was so real. I'll just say it. All I could do was cry. Later, I didn't cry in formation. <laughs> you know, soldiers don't do that. Soldiers, right? For weeks, I didn't go to church. I'd just come to his house. They'd talk to me about the Bible. I said, man, I'm not going to church. That's where all the mean people are. I'm not doing that. Finally, he got me in there. Come to find out that the church was praying and the pastor had taught him how to come up and to witness to me to make it to where there was a responsibility on my part. So when he hit me up and did all this stuff, I would have to respond responsibly. He just didn't willy-nilly just throw a tract at me. People wanted me in the kingdom. Jesus wanted me in his kingdom. Jesus wants you in his kingdom. The question is, is will you look to him and will you see that he has come to you? He's not in the stable or the manger anymore. He's knocking on your heart's door, so to speak, saying, will you accept me? I'm coming to you. This is your spiritual advent. I'm here. What are you, what are you going to do with me? Will you accept me or will you turn me away? It's the realness of what we, we all face. So we see that Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago in the first advent. He's met each one of us where we are and he saved us from our sins. This is a spiritual advent in the middle. But this is where, as believers, we live between the advents. 
We live between the advent of him coming in the nativity, the advent spiritually where he's, he's now filled us with his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is, is not hovering on the earth per se like he was in the beginning. His Holy Spirit is inside of us, allos. He's the paraclete. He's walking alongside of us. So that's the spiritual advent right here where we are, but there's another advent that's remaining. And that advent is the second coming of Christ when he returns again to get his people. The second advent, the the second coming. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. He's not coming to get you because there's a sin issue anymore. I was saved. I am saved. And I am being saved, so to speak. Yes, I was saved. 30-something years ago. Right now, He's saving me when it needs to happen right now, but there will be times in my life when I will need His presence again. And in this presence right here, it says, in in this, this instance right here, it says, without reference to sin. He's not coming to save you from a sin. He's not coming to save you from a hard time that you're experiencing. He's coming to get you because that's why He came in the first place, was to bring you back to the Father, your rightful place. That's where He's caused us to be joint heirs with God, seated with Him in heavenly places. He's coming to get the church to take us home. There's more to this thing than what we have on this earth, the possessions that we have, the people that we know, the positions of power that we have, all of that, we throw it at His feet and say, God, You're the only one I want in the first place. He sent His Son for us. That validates who I am and establishes my worth. It establishes your worth also that He sent Jesus for you because you're worthy of the blood of Christ. And now that you belong to Him, He's coming to take those beloved people that belong to Him. To those who eagerly await Him. Eagerly, those who expect Him. Who wait for Him. Who who look for Him. People that are not just living their lives, making their money and doing their things, and and, and, and their only focus is 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 you know their their weekend vacations and, and, and having fun and what's on TV and who won the football game. It's so much more than that, although those things are okay. It's so much more than that. They know that even in the things that they experience in this world, there's an end to this thing. And am I looking for that to happen in my life? Is Jesus coming quickly? Even so, come quickly. So now we've come full circle, so to speak. Hope is an expectation, but hope demands participation. We've got to do something with the very hope that we have. We have to participate in that expectation. But in all of that participation, it all hinges on will we believe and will we act in faith? The patriarchs and everyone up until the time of Joseph looked to Jesus, the Jesus who would come. Our faith is built on the rock of Christ who came. Now we walk with His very Spirit while we wait for Him to return for us. It says in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance to the end. For those of you that say that you are a, a, a believer, It means that we will maintain, we will be firm and steady. Steady. 
is something we need to see more of in our world. People who are steady, that are not moved, not blown around. But if we will hold to that knowing, hold firm to that assurance that we have, that word means that confession. We say that we are believers in Christ. If we will hold to that, if we will believe that, we have all the reason in the world to believe what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ. We know it, we feel it, we get all of that, but also he backs it up with the Word of God. And when you hold this book in your hands, you're holding the very life of Christ himself. His very words, his very nature to the extent that we can understand it. And even then it has to come through him, the revelation, it, it comes from him. Let me close with this verse. In John chapter 14, verses, well actually two through four. One through four. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Just not enough time to talk about the imagery that's in this verse right here, but I'll say this. As the very bride of Christ, we're betrothed just like Mary and Joseph before they moved in together. It's a legal contract signed and sealed in the blood of Christ that's not going to be broken. And he's preparing a place for us as his bride, the bride of Christ. When that consummation comes, that time at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we go to be with him, he already has our room ready. Bridal chambers is what that word is, not a mansion, it's a bridal chamber. And he has that room ready for us as his very bride. It says in verse four that this is the way. You know the way, but this is the way where I'm going. It's a life of faith in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, it says in John 14, 6. Amen? We've talked a lot this morning. A lot of it is teaching, and I can imagine how dry this can seem at times to some of you. This is just absolutely exciting to me. I mean, maybe you don't see it on my face all the time. But the reality of what he is saying right now is you have a responsibility Hope is not just something we have wishing upon a star. We're trusting in what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, who came for us, who's come for us, in His strong presence, Renner says. And now the strong presence of His Son will be seen again at the second coming of Christ. Will you be one of the ones that goes with Him? Or will you be one of the ones who's left? I don't know. Scripture tells us that only you know what's in the heart of man. It's the spirit of the man himself. I have no idea, and I would never say that any of you are saved or not saved. But as a minister of the gospel, I owe it to every one of you to tell you we need to examine ourselves and say, am I walking in faith? And if you are, let's walk it out in faith, and let's trust him, let's have hope, and let's participate in the gospel because he loves us. And it's signed and sealed in His blood. Let's close our eyes. We've talked about a lot, and a lot that's very serious this morning. 
when it comes to faith, it's not always a thing where we have to believe for something that we need materially. But it's a belief and it's a trust in Jesus who gave his life for us. He came the first time for you and for I, for me. My question to you this morning, with no one looking around, no one is looking around. I'll call you out if you open your eyes. Right now, if you know that God is speaking to you and that you want to become a believer in Christ and have the hope of one day going to be with Him in heaven, quick, raise your hand right now. All right, you can put your hands down. I'm going to wait a couple more seconds. Do you know that you're worth waiting for? For thousands of years, God put His plan into motion so that His Son could come into this earth legally and give His life for you. For you personally. Not just for me and other people, but for you. It's not about other people right now. This is about you. He's reaching out to you. He's pulling at you. God's Holy Spirit, that paraclete, is right beside you right now. Anyone else? Raise your hand. Come on. Raise your hand. If you put your hands down. We're all in this moment of time at some point in our life where we have to accept or reject Him. And now the angels dance and rejoice, Scripture says, because there's two more people in the kingdom of God. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for reaching out to us through Your Word and through Your Spirit that You've made to dwell inside of us. Thank You for the evidence. Thank You for the faith that we have and now the hope that we have because of what Your Son, Jesus Christ, did for us on the cross. In this time of of Christmas, when we, we so much look to the first time that He came, we thank You now for the time that You've come into our lives, so to speak, and we so eagerly await for You to return. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.